Hi guys, uh, I'm Kevin. I'm the senior leader of Collective. I just want to say thank you for taking time out to check out our podcast. And uh, before we listen to this week's message, uh, I'd like you to know that Collective Conference 2019 is happening at the end of August, and we do not want you to miss this. This conference is going to be all about equipping you to restore order to the disordered spaces in our lives, beginning with the very real issue of depression and anxiety caused by our fast-paced modern living. We, we want you to go from fear to faith to creating a future for others. If you would like to check out more about our conference, uh, do check us out on our collective website at collective.my slash conference. Everybody you know is invited. Can't wait to see you and host you. So, all right guys, take care and enjoy the podcast. I just want to bring you back to when we first married uh, 36 years ago uh, because on our wedding day, any and everything that could go wrong went wrong on our wedding day. Well, I'll tell you what, a week before the wedding, we got married in the UK. A week before the wedding, I lost my contact lenses. And uh, so I rang up my opticians in London and I said, I'd like a replacement lens, please. Now you must understand in those days, you can't just walk into a shop and pick off, you know, off the shelf your replacement lens like you can do today. You actually have to have your new lenses ground to prescription and then sent to you. So I rang up the opticians in London and said, can I have a new pair of, glass, uh, of lenses, please? And he said, sure, sir. We'll get sent it to you in two weeks. I said, two weeks? I'm getting married next week. And the, the reply on the phone was, I'm sorry, sir, but you'll have to get married blind. And so on the wedding day itself, Nancy took off her glasses to look pretty for the photographs. So she couldn't see very well either. So we got married in a blur. It was a case of the blind marrying the blind. We tied the knot, not by sight, but by faith. Okay, come on. And you know, when you do things by faith, here you are 36 years later. Still very much in love, you know, still going strong in a marriage. Another thing went wrong. You know, because I didn't have that much money. I had just graduated and I didn't have that much, much money to upkeep my car. So on the wedding day, my best man was driving my car, taking me to the uh, church. Half an hour before the church, we got into the car. I was all spruced up and so was he. Uh, we, I sat in the front. He slipped into the driver's seat to drive me to church, slipped the car, the key into the car ignition, turned it, nothing happened. The battery was absolutely flat. Time was ticking away. It's now 25 minutes before the, 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 the wedding. And uh, I was there, sweating away. And he ran out into the boarding house where we had house for the night, knocked on every door he could find. All the students come, came out on a Saturday morning. That's about 9.40 by then. And they looked at this Chinaman, you know, in the car, all dressed up, nowhere to go. And then, they, after laughing at me sympathetically, they started to give me a push. And eventually, the push started the car. And that's how I got to church in the nick of time. Just in the nick of time. And uh, people ask me, what was your wedding day like? I tell them, you know, honestly, I had no choice. I was literally pushed into the arms of my wife, you know. <laughs> now, we did very bold things on our, in preparation for our wedding. We didn't actually ever rehearse for our wedding day. You know, we both thought, we know, we've seen to so many weddings, 
we'll see how these weddings go. We, we just know everything about the wedding. No need to rehearse, we told the minister. Now, that was one of our greatest mistakes. If you're going to get married soon, any one of you, please rehearse. Turn to your neighbor and say, please rehearse. So when it came to the part in the wedding ceremony where the minister said to me, and now Philip, you may kiss your beautiful bride. I thought to myself, I know how to do this. I lifted up the veil, planted a firm kiss on her lips. And then I had a mental blank. I thought, what do you do after this? So you know what I did? I pulled the veil down get it. And everybody started laughing. It became a Mr. Mr. Bean kind of spoof wedding from that point on. And the worst was yet to come. You know, we couldn't get married on an extravagant budget, but you know, we did. Nancy and I, you know, she was in Bible school, and I was uh, just graduated, and uh, the best we could do, we got married on a grand extravagant budget of 150 pounds. That's all that was. And any and everybody that could give us, you know, any help for free, we gratefully received. And a friend came up and said, we'll, I'll bake you a wedding cake for free. Oh, we just said, thank you so much. We gratefully receive it. But she never told us she had never baked a wedding cake before. <laughs> so when it came to the point where the MC announced the cake cutting ceremony, you know, in the annex of the church after the wedding. And so we lifted up the, the, the knife together, gingerly together, and we sliced into this very simple wedding cake. We sliced, but it wouldn't cut. It wouldn't slice at all. We started applying pressure. People were starting to laugh now. We were trying to apply pressure and trying to smile at the same time. It still wouldn't cut. Then we started sawing it. People were still sawing. It still wouldn't cut. We started tapping and chopping on it lightly. It still wouldn't cut. We didn't know that she had made the icing on the wedding cake the thickness of concrete slabs. And we did the final thing we could only do. There was the only thing left. We jointly hoisted the long, long knife up like a samurai sword. And we went, hard, chopped it. And that's how we began our marriage. But here we are, you know, 36 years later, still very much in love. You know, it's not the way, you know, I, the reason why I tell you this is because the, the year before, the year before, I had been to the royal wedding. I'd stood outside the gates of Buckingham Palace and watched Princess Diana marry Prince Charles. I saw the gilded carriages drive out of Buckingham Palace and come back again. And millions of people watching it on television, we were there with hundreds of thousands of people waving uh, with the crowd, and I was there, and I thought, what a fairy tale wedding. We got married on a £150 budget. They probably got married on a £158 budget. Do you know? But, you know, shortly after that, the marriage went south, as many of you would know. Uh, but here we are, 36 years later. We're still great friends. We're still great lovers. We're still very much in love. You know, we, we still love each other's company very much. Guys, it's not the way you start. Guys, it's the way you continue and the way you finish. Can somebody say amen to that? Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Whoa. But, you know, things... Things went so wrong, but one of the things that we were really grateful for was we didn't gonna afford a video camera. So nobody videoed our wedding. Thank God nobody videoed our wedding. Because all the mistakes would have been played over for the last 36 years, you know. But you know, we could have finished, we could have finished the wedding and on the first day of our marriage could have said, uh, you know, it's your fault or your fault. But suppose you only if if only supposing we had rehearsed for the wedding, but suppose you had up kept your car better. And you didn't have to, you know, not start on the wedding day and nearly give everybody a heart attack thinking that you're not going to arrive. But suppose 
you know, you had not been an El Cheapo and uh, not got married on this cheapskate budget. But suppose this, but suppose that. We could have blamed each other and the marriage would have gone down south from day one if we had lived in but suppose. We didn't. From the day we got married, we chose not to blame each other. We chose to overcome the obstacles that the, the, the wedding actually brought forth. But suppose, we didn't go but suppose this, but suppose that, but suppose. We said, yeah, all these things went wrong. But God saw us through. But God enabled us to overcome all the challenges of our wedding day and our marriage. And this morning, I want to share with you something that will, as you articulate it from your heart, will see you through some of the toughest points in your life. Will see you through so that you will know God as real in every situation, in every circumstance of your life. I want to talk about, but God. Somebody say, but God. Say it aloud. Say, but God. You know, Apostle Paul writing in the book to the Ephesians said, you know, we were once in the spell of darkness. We were once under the control of the enemy. We were once under the control of the prince of the power of the air. We were going nowhere. We were heading for destruction. We had no meaning to our life, no purpose. We were just totally involuted to ourselves and we are into our destructive habits. But God, out of the great love with which He loved us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6 is where the verse, but God, is found. It says this, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, He made us alive together in Christ, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Somebody say, but God. See, all the things that could go wrong with our lives, then the Apostle Paul writes, but God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which He loved you. Oh, things are going wrong with your life. You're heading towards hell and destruction. Things are, darkness is wrapping up over you, itself over you. You don't have any hope, but God. You see, the opposite of but God is but suppose. But suppose bad things happen to me again. But suppose my failures come back to haunt me again. But suppose all the things that I did wrong, you know, came back again. People know about it. But suppose, you know, all these failures come back into our life again. See, the opposite of but God is but suppose. We may not articulate it, but it's a posture that many of us hold in our hearts, which paralyzes us because we don't achieve a walk in faith with God to believe what He can give us in terms of the fulfillment of our destiny. And that was exactly what happened in Moses' life. Exodus chapter 4, verse, verse 1. You know, Moses, Moses was uh, uh, the prince of Egypt. You know, he was brought up in the courts of Pharaoh. And he grew up with all the education and all the surpluses of being in the royal court of Egypt. But you know, one day he killed an Egyptian slave master. And then Pharaoh was after him. And he ran away into the wilderness as a fugitive. And eventually spent 40 years in the backside of the Sinai Desert. You know, as a shepherd, wanting to forget about his past, his failure, the things, his dark things that he had done in the past, you know, just wanting to forget about it. And then God appeared to him in a burning bush and said, Moses, I would like you to go back to Egypt and lead my people out of slavery. But all Moses could see was his own failures, his own dark past, and his response to God was not, but God can see me through. But no, his response to God was, but suppose... 
Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered and said to God, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. But suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. You see, there are two things that we can carry in our hearts. We can carry the message of faith in our hearts, but God. Yeah, I know I failed. Yeah, I know these things have helped me back in the past. Yeah, I know I have that kind of a history. Yeah, I know yeah, I've, I've made slip-ups in my past and big things in my past. But God, or we can say, you know, and God calls us to our destiny. But suppose these bad things happen again. But suppose the failure repeats itself. But, but suppose, you know, my, back, my past comes back to haunt me again. See, but suppose is the language of failure. But God is the language of faith. Can somebody say amen? Now, you know, the Bible tells us that there are sheep and goats. Do you know what the difference between sheep and goats are? Sheep are those who always follow the Lord's voice. They always go, Master, Master. That's sheep. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a sheep. But you know what goats do? Goats, they always have butts. They always have reasons. You know, they always have a horn and they go butts, 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 butts. They're always butting around. You know? So turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a butts person. You know, it reminds me of a, a, a minister in rural England who was a, a vicar. And he was preaching on Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. But suppose. And he was talking about all the butts we make before God in our lives. All the excuses why we don't obey God in our lives. The butts of our life. And it was such a well-received sermon that he decided he was going to preach the same sermon or a sermon when he went across to the United States the following month on his pastor's exchange program. Now, what he didn't know yeah, is the word but. A word not used in rural England at all. Yeah? But it's an American word. The word but spelled with a double T actually refers to the posterior aspect of the human anatomy. He didn't know that because in rural England, they don't use that word. So the next month, he went to this huge uh, congregation in New York. He came up to the pulpit and announced promptly his text. And he says, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, I want to speak to you about buts in our lives. Everybody looks shell-shocked. Their eyes pop out of their sockets. Their jaws drop. They look really aghast. He's going to talk about butts. But he was totally oblivious to it. And he said, I want to give you three points about butts. He said, point number one, everyone has a butt. He said, point number two, it is easy to see other people's butts. He said, but point number three, it's very difficult to see your own butt. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's very difficult. Because, you know, when we have our own butts, our butts suppose, we think it's uniquely us. God says, come on, move on. But suppose, uh, I will be with you, but suppose. I will tell you three things that but suppose will do to our lives. Three things, you know, that it will do to our lives. You know why the language of but God and but suppose is so important? Well, because Luke chapter 6, verse 45 tells us, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So you know, it's not just about saying it. There's something about it that as you say it and continually say it, it becomes something that ingrains in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the Bible tells us in Proverbs 18 verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits thereof. 
So if you speak death all the time from the abundance of your heart, you think it's just words. But, but suppose, but suppose you will eat its fruit. You will never fulfill your destiny. So this morning I want to teach you to say, but God. But before I say that, teach you that, I want to bring you to three things that but suppose, the language of but suppose will do to your life. Firstly, if you continue to speak but suppose from your heart, even if you don't articulate it, but that's the posture of your heart. Every time God wants to lead you, but suppose my failure, but suppose this. If you do that, the first thing it will do is that but suppose will paralyze you spiritually. It will paralyze you spiritually. Now, in medicine, there is a syndrome which we call the lock-in syndrome. And in the lock-in syndrome, you actually have a stroke that picks out a small stroke that picks out a particular part of the brain, very, very important part of the brain that where all the, the nerve tracks actually pass. And if you had a stroke, your whole body becomes paralyzed. Every muscle, you can't even turn your head. You can't move your arms, you can't even move your face. You can just about twitch your eyes. That's about it. You are alive, fully alive. You can think. You're aware of your surroundings. But you cannot communicate. You are a living tomb. It's called the locked-in syndrome. So a very tiny thing like but suppose, it just dwells in the recesses of your mind. It's something bad that happened before. It's a fear because there's a massive failure, a wrongdoing, a sin or something. But, but suppose it locks you in and it holds you. It will paralyze you spiritually. You know, one of the things I enjoy doing, living in Sabah, is go into some of the jungles of Borneo and do jungle walks. How many of you here, you enjoy going for jungle walks? Can I see your hands? You love it? You know, sometimes when I go for jungle walks, I bring people along, and especially Singaporeans. They don't have jungles in Singapore. So they love to come for jungle walks. Jungle walks. But more, many of them, they think the jungle is like the city of Singapore. You know, many of them dress inappropriately, especially some of the girls. They come in wearing shorts for jungle walks. You cannot wear shorts for jungle walks, my friends, because you'll be cut by the lalang and all the things, you know. And some of them, they even wear their inappropriate shoes. They wear heels. They walk in. And, and you know, invariably, when you go into the jungle, you, we will not see tigers or even monkeys or squirrels. You won't see this. There's one animal you will always see in jungle. And what is it? Do you know what it is? It's the leech. Leeches you will see in the jungle. One day, I was walking in the jungle and suddenly, I felt something cold on my arm. I looked down, it was a leech. You know the leeches can live in trees and they drop on you as you walk down? Do you know that? And then one day, I was walking in the jungle patch and I, I came across a, a beautiful jungle patch and I stood there with all the dried leaves around and I was gazing at the beauty of the forest. And everything was still, no wind, nothing. And then I heard rustling, rustle, 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 rustle. I thought, where's the rustling coming from? Then I looked down and I realized, to my horror, I walked into a leech nest. There are thousands of leech coming after me. So what do you do when you see that? You run, I don't I didn't say by, in Je I didn't turn around and say in Jesus' name, I didn't do that. I just ran. But you know, I was taking this whole group of Singaporeans and they were walking with me in the jungle and suddenly one of the girls shouted at the top of her voice and screamed. She said, ah! We all turned around. She said, I've got something on my leg. We looked at it and there was a leech on her leg. And we say, it's only a leech. 
you know, just pull it off. And she said, no, it's a leech. Ah, I'm going to die. She said, we said, you won't die. It's just a leech. Pull it off. No, she said, I'm going to die. Now, the question I have to ask you is this. Does she have the leech or does the leech have her? You see? Are you just saying, but suppose, or does but suppose have you? It may be just a small thing, but it paralyzes us spiritually, and we never fulfill our destiny. The second thing that but suppose does is that it presses us down personally. It presses you down. You want to rise, but suppose presses you down. I want, but suppose will press you down. I want to, st- but suppose will press you down. Exodus chapter 4 verse 10, and Moses said, you know, when God said, go back to Egypt, Moses said, but suppose, but suppose, then he says again, but I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. All the excuses come out now, you see, because it keeps pressing him down. I'm slow of tongue. There's no way I can go before Pharaoh because I cannot speak well. I am a Samara. Don't believe that Moses was eloquent. Some of you have seen the Hollywood movies of the Ten Commandments, the old Ten Commandments, you know, and Moses, very eloquent, you know, acted out by Charlton Heston. He strides into the court of Pharaoh with his Texan, you know, stride, and then just draws out the Texan accent to Pharaoh, points at Pharaoh in Hollywood and says, Thus says the Lord, Pharaoh, let my people go. I will tell you, in the Bible, the true story is nothing like that at all. Moses was not eloquent of speech. He was a stammerer. So what he did actually was he was tottering with his staff, going into Pharaoh's court. Everybody was laughing at him. And he was telling Pharaoh in all diffidence with his stammer, that, 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 that says the Lord, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh would say, uh, Moses, I didn't get the last bit. Can you repeat it again? Uh, let, 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 let my people. It's crazy because that's what he was. And Moses made all the excuse. I'm not eloquent. Please sense. No, I can't. I can't do it. See, but suppose we'll continue to press us down. You know, people overcome things like that even in the natural, even without God's help. Handicaps of this nature, huge handicaps. But we have a God who will help us beyond, exceedingly abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think. Somebody say amen. Now, my medical school, there was a guy who was a stammerer. He was in my cohort. He was a stammerer. And you know, when you are trying, training to be a doctor, and you have a stammer, you know, he was not discriminated on basis of his stammer. He was bright enough to get into medical school, but he was not. But if you have a stammer and you're trying to be a doctor, it can really be hell. Because you're always having to communicate with people. And the most dreaded thing in medical schools is when you actually have to do ward rounds with the professor. Once a week, the professor does a huge, big professorial ward round. And uh, with the professors will be all the top consultants and specialists together with other junior doctors, together with the medical students, together with all the other nurses and matrons and everybody. And you have to present your patient and then justify your management to the whole crowd, and they can ask you any questions. It's a frightening moment, and they want to move fast because they want to see as many patients as possible, and when you come to your patient, you have to present it. But just imagine, if you've got a stammer, how are you going to present? I mean, if you have a patient who comes in with a, with a heart attack, and normally this is what we would say, this is Mrs. Smith, she's 45 years old, she came in with chest pain, she had sweating, and I made the diagnosis, she had a heart attack, and I did an ECG to confirm it, and this is the way I manage her. 
You would just say that, for example. But supposing you had a stammer and everybody wants to move fast and you're trying to present the patient, you would say, this is Mrs. Miss, Mrs. Smith. She is 45 years old and she... Oh, that's tough. Everybody's like, get on with it. You know, come on. And it doesn't do much for your confidence. But he overcame it by this. He knew that eloquence has got something to do with the way you rhythmize your speech in terms of your breathing. And so before he spoke, you know, this is what he would do. He would beat on his thigh. He would beat like that on his thigh. He would beat loud and then he would start. This is Mrs. Smith. She is 45 years old. She came in with chest pains and I made the diagnosis of a heart attack and I confirmed it on ECG. And now all of us, we watched him. I tell you, none of us were listening to a word he was saying. We were just watching this hand on the all the time. Now the point I'm trying to make is that he overcame all his handicaps and his fears naturally. He, didn't, he was not a believer. But we have a God who is able to do exceedingly, somebody say exceedingly, say it abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think. We have that God. We have that God. And so, if we speak God's language instead of but suppose, then it will not press us down personally. Somebody say amen. But but suppose will continue to abort the destiny God has for you. It will continue to press you down personally. And the third thing about but suppose when it's used to language is that it will play us out mentally. It will paralyze us spiritually. It will press us down in our personal life. And it will play us out mentally. Exodus chapter 4 verse 13. Eventually God, Moses had a big argument with God. He kept telling God, why cannot? God said, can. He said, cannot. God said, can. And God was getting exasperated with him, you know. So there are a few instances in the Bible where God was just exasperated. And Moses said to the Lord, he said, please send somebody else, God. And this is the ultimate of but suppose. When God presents the opportunity, God presents you with a strength. And he promises to accompany you and open doors for you. But you have to step forward. Eventually, you just stay frozen. And then you press yourself down because with but suppose, which actually paralyzes you and keeps you put, staying put where you, you're not moving. And eventually, you just say, God, just please send somebody else. That's what Moses said. Please send my brother. Please send somebody else. Anyone but me. I, I can't do it. See, but suppose abort our destiny. And it is because of fears in our lives. Fears. And, uh, you know, there's so many fears that control people in the world today. I don't know what fears you may have. Some of you may have some of these fears. And, and some of these fears actually have medical names. There are about 250 medically nomenclatured fears. They call them all kinds of fancy names. And you have to see psychologists or psychiatrists to get rid of them. These are fears. For example, the fear of closed space, a closed space, is called claustrophobia. People with claustrophobia they find it difficult to fly. The plane actually shuts, the, do the door plane of the, of the plane shuts, and they go, let me out, I can't stand, it's, it's suffocating here. Claustrophobia. The people who fear open space, it's called agrophobia. The people who fear heights, it's called acrophobia. The people who fear spiders, it's called arachnophobia. People who fear snakes, it's called hepatophobia. There are even people who fear money. They have a fear for money. You see money? <laughs> It's called chromatophobia. By the way, anyone got that problem? Because I can really help you. 
uh, you know, just come and see me after the service this morning and I can really help you with chromatophobia, okay? There are people who even fear going to church. There's a name for that. It's called ecclesiophobia. Wow, turn to your neighbor and say, you don't have that one, lah? Ah. There's a fear of, of pastors. There is. There's a name. It's called hierophobia. Wow. Now you know, uh, Pastor Kevin, uh, now we feel good, man. That we we'll cause, cause fear to people. No, we don't. Yeah. It's hierophobia. There is even a fear of wives. Of your wife. Fear of your wife. It's called lopophobia. Okay, so, you know, there are all kinds of phobias around. I can tell you that. But God can deliver you. If you have the language of but suppose, it will never happen. But God, I have this fear, but God. I have this fear, but God. You know, uh, after Pastor and I, Nancy and I, we got married. The first year, at the end of our first anniversary, I decided to try her out, to see whether she was just a city girl or whether she could really hack the outdoor life. Because I like the outdoor life. And one of the things I, I like to do is to, to climb mountains. I love climbing mountains. That's why I went to Sabah, because it really is a fantastic place to climb mountains, you know. I've climbed Mount Kinabalu many times. But, you know, at the end of the first year, I said to Nancy, Let's, why don't we climb the highest mountain in Britain? It's Ben Nevis. It's only 4,000 feet. Kinabalu is 13,000 feet. You know, so, Ben Nevis. She said, yeah, let's go. So we went up, we got up to the top of the mountain, no problem. I thought she was doing well. But the moment she stood on the summit, she turned around and looked at all the landscape below her in the distance. The sea, the horizon, the countryside, the tiny specks of car dotted, you know, in the real distance. She realized how high up she was. And I said, well, darling, it's time to go down now. It's, you know, it's getting dark, so let's go down. She said, no, I cannot. I said, why not? She said, because I've got a fear of heights. I said, Alama, you should have told me this, you know, one year ago before we got married. No, I didn't say that, okay. <laughs> so I, I tried to be as encouraging as I could to, to get her down, but she couldn't stand because she, she had to sit down. I said, we've got to get down. It's going to get dark soon. She said, no, I, I will do what I do. I will slide down. So she slid down. She sat on the backside and slided down bit by bit down the mountain. It took us longer getting down the mountain than going up the mountain. By the time we reached the foot of the mountains, about 9.30, all pitch black at night. You know, and so she had a fear of heights. I didn't know that. You know, but so when we came to Sabah, a year later, we, we were in Sabah. And then I started climbing Mount Kinabalu. I actually climbed Mount Kinabalu about 25 times, you know. People say, why so many times? I said, Sabah, nothing to do, like just climb mountains, okay. <laughs> so, so, so anyway... After the first few times I climbed um, uh, Mount Kinabalu, I said to Nancy, I said, there's no way you can go up there. It's three times the height of Ben Nevis. And if you stand on the summit of Mount Kinabalu, behind you, you know, it's a sheer one mile, 5,000 feet drop. Psh, goes right down. You stand up there and you look behind, huh? everything wobbles because it's, it's really frightening. I said, there's no way you can go up. And then one day, a man of God came to a church and we attended a conference. And he was saying, God wants to deliver people from fears today. I thought, that's interesting. He said, there are people here who have the fear of spiders. I said to Nancy, that's you. He said, there are people also fear of snakes. I said, that's also you, number two, you know. He said, there are people of fearful cockroaches. I said, number three already. And then there are people of fear of heights. I said, wow, all four is you. I'm part number four, first prize. So I said, you better go forward. She said, yeah, I feel that too. So she went forward and the man of God prayed for her. She fell under the power. She got up from, uh, from, from the floor and then went back to the seat. And when she, she sat down, I said, you know, what do you feel? I said to her, she says, I think something 
has gone. I said, I feel that too. I said, why don't we try it out? Whether the fear, you know, whether the fear of heights is gone. So I took her to a, a hill that was 800 feet high, you know, near our house. And you had to go up a very steep slope. And when you turn and stand on the summit, you will see the whole city sprawled before you. Whole city of KK. So I took her there and she stood on the peak. And I said, how do you feel? I expected her to slide down again. She, she said, no, I feel good. I said, can you walk down? She said, sure. So she started walking down gingerly. I said, wow, can you jog down? She said, yeah, just started jogging down. I said, wow, God has delivered her from the fear of heights. Hallelujah. Ah, but I said to her, there's still one more test. And what's the test? Mount Kinabalu. I said, you know, why don't we climb Mount Kinabalu? She said, yeah. Wow, it's incredible. This wife of mine, instead of saying, but suppose, but... She said, but... God. So we climbed up Mount Kinabalu on our 11th anniversary. On the day of our 11th anniversary, we stood on the peak of Mount Kinabalu. And there, she was standing there with a sheer drop of 5,000 feet below her. I said, how do you feel? She said, I don't like it very much, but I feel good. And God had delivered her from the fear of heights. Now, what's your fear today? I'm just sharing you just to encourage you. Just encourage you. Yeah? So that if the but suppose of our lives rule us, they may be small things that are lodged deep in the recesses of our memory bank or deep in our spirit. They abort the destiny God has for us. We may not say, but suppose, but suppose, but everything in our spirit says that. But suppose. It paralyzes us. It presses us down. You know? And it prevents us from rising up to our destiny and it plays us out. But what this morning I want you to understand is God wants us to speak the language of faith. The language is given to us in the scripture and it is but God. Everybody say, but God. Can say it loud, but God. Now, if I were to say to you, the devil wants to kill your life and destroy your life, but the devil wants to destroy your marriage and give you no destiny and future and hope, but the devil wants to bankrupt you and send all your children to hell so they will never believe God. But you understand now what I mean. If you read Ephesians, you will, say, you will see this. God, the devil is leading us to hell. He's a prince of the power of the air who control this world and control us. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, made us alive again in Christ Jesus. And made us sit with Him in the heavenly places so that in ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His kindness and grace towards us. But God will do three things for you. But God will firstly bring God's grace into your life. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 6 again. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which He has loved us, for by grace you have been saved, for by grace. And what is grace? Grace is something that is qualitatively and quantitatively different from mercy. Many of us think, oh, grace is kind of a, a super deluxe version of mercy. It isn't. It's something completely different. You know, mercy is not getting what you deserve. You know, you, you deserve to be condemned and, and hung at the gallows, but mercy is com commuting it to life sentence. That's mercy. People usually have a little problem with it, but no, most people don't, don't think there's any much. They, they will, yeah, you're just lucky. You got commuted. Nobody has any problem. But grace is qualitatively different. It is, well, mercy is not getting, not getting the bad that you deserve. 
grace is getting all the good, the excellence, the super deluxe things you don't deserve. It's completely different. So if you're a condemned prisoner, condemned to death, mercy is, is commuted to life sentence. Grace is you are pardoned, pardoned completely, 100% released from prison today with no more death sentence on you. Not only that, your name is expunged from the law books and criminal record books. There's no criminal record of you. And not only that, when you come out, there's a red carpet waiting for you and people are cheering you on. And not only that, you're, you're given a top red bungalow in the top hill of Damansara Heights with, you know, a life pension of 50,000 ringgit a month to live for the rest of your life. And your family and your children will go get scholarships to go to the best universities for free. And you're given a Lamborghini, a Lexus, and a Porsche to drive for the rest of your life. And you're traveling first class. That's grace. That's something approximating grace. You are, while mercy, people have a little bit of issue with it. Grace, everyone has an issue with it. It's a scandal. Everyone will say, what has he done to deserve that? I deserve it more. Everyone will say that. It's a scandal. And I want to tell you this. You are a recipient of grace, just like me. You are a recipient. There is nothing that justifies why we should be sons and daughters of the living God. There's nothing that justifies why we should inherit all the inheritance and the treasures of heaven. There's nothing that, that justifies why we should be inheritors of eternal life. There's nothing that justifies why God, in all His glory, our Creator, should live in us and count this place His temple. There is nothing. There is not, nothing. It's a scandal. Grace is a scandal. Every time you feel something is totally unjustified given to somebody, and every fiber of your body militates against that, remember, you are a recipient of grace yourself. Grace is a scandal. Just like when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, he's the biggest crook in town. Do you understand? The biggest crook in Jer Jericho was Zacchaeus, and Jesus came to go to his house and to save him. Now, I don't know, in KL, who's the biggest crook? I don't know. Do, do you know? I mean, I'm from KK. I don't know who's the biggest crook in town, okay? But just imagine, Jesus comes to KL. He goes to that man's house and wants to save him. And every person will get really upset because when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house, there was immediately a scandal. Everybody started chatting. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today, salvation has come into this house. You and I are recipients of grace. See, but God brings us to a place of grace. Do you know, and, and I, I, always, I always think grace is something like durians. Do you know what I mean? How many of you, you like durians? Can I see your hands? Come on. You like durians. How many of you, you don't like durians? Don't put up your hands. Just, I, I just feel a bit sorry for you because that day, you know, I was reading the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 22, God showed me that there was a tree that was giving life. There are lots of these trees in Revelation 22, in the new heaven, in heaven. And the Lord said to me as I was studying one day, the Lord said, son, those trees, they are durian trees. <laughs> so I feel sorry for you if you, you don't like durians, you know. But I will tell you, you know, when you come to a durian, you say, well, this prickly fruit, you know, how to, you know, it's terrible, you know, lots, lots of thorns. And have you seen especially amors, you know? Opening up durians. I've seen a YouTube version of an American family trying to open up a durian in America. Never seen this fruit before. So this is what they did. And they use an axe and they chop up a durian. And then they couldn't open it still and they use a sledgehammer to burst it open. 
Can you imagine what the durian would be like the moment it's split open? It's a mushy. It's, it's a totally destroyed. But you know, how to open the durian is very, very simple. All you have to do is flip the durian round, and you see those lines there. Those lines, I call them the lines of grace. You don't need a parang, you don't need an axe, you don't need a sledgehammer. You just need to flick a small pen knife. Just a small pen knife, a small screwdriver. You pierce it into the line of grace. And you just go flick, the whole thing opens up. And the whole waft and the aroma of heaven just fills the room. You know, it's just like that. So every time you feel, you know, uh, you know somebody doesn't deserve it. Remember, you're a recipient of grace. Because of the cross, you just walk in. The aroma of heaven fills your life. Can somebody say an amen to that? You know, I know some of you, wow, you can't wait to finish this service so they can get to your durance right now. But hold on a minute. Hold on a minute, you know. And you know, and, 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 and God gives you the best. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I, you know, I'm not very good at choosing durance, selecting durance. How many of you, you're good at selecting durance? Can I see your hands? Put it up. Nobody here. Okay, how many of you, you pretend, you can pretend you're quite good at selecting durance? Put up your hands. A few hands went up. You know, I went to my favorite durian seller the other day, you know, and in, in KK. She was an old Malay lady, and she sits at the back of this pickup truck with this pile of durians with the sides down and the back down, and crowds come around her, and she's selling her durians. And one day, I went to buy durians from her, and I pretended I knew how to select durians, just like every one of you. Lah. I pick up the durian, and I smell it. Mmm, harumini durian, okay. Then I you know, run my back of my hand down the duri, the, the uh, thorns. And then, you know, I shake it a bit, you know, just knowledgeable. Then I say, mmm, tak bagus. I put it down, okay. Actually, I don't know. I just pretend. I pick up another one again. And after about doing this a few times, I realize I actually don't have to choose a good durian. So I tell to the, the machi there, machi, pilihlah tiga durian untuk saya yang bagus punya. Bagus punya, Maci, ah? So she said, boleh. So she started choosing the durians for me. And I was trying to run a conversation with her. All the crowds were around me. I was trying to run a conversation with her. I said, Maci, ini durian datang dari mana? I wanted to find out whether it came from one part of Sabah where the durians are very good, this town or that village, you know? Just like you would here, where no durians come from Penang or where. So I said to the Maci, Maci, ini durian datang dari mana? He said, eh, dari mana lagi? Dari pokok lah, mana lagi? I tell you, you know, I, I, I took my three durians and I ran away because I was, everybody was laughing there. And I was telling Dr. Debbie who was, came to fetch me this morning, I said, no, after that, I never went back to the durian cellar for two years. Here's the thing, you know, if you learn but God, it is just like a penknife flick along the lines of grace. Flick it open. The waft of heaven comes into your life. The best durians, the best the best of it that God has for you, that grace comes into your life and you receive what is the best. You may not know how to choose how. God can choose. But He wants you to start with, but God. Not with, but suppose. Let Him choose for you. But God, I walk in your way. And He will choose the best for you. And it will come into your life. Because, but God is the language of the tree of life. Somebody say an amen to that. And, but God will also do this for you. It will make faith alive in Him. But God who is rich in mercy made us alive together in Christ. Somebody say alive. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you are alive. Can somebody give me a big shout if you're alive? Come on, you big shout if you're alive. If somebody was next to you and you didn't shout, you know, just say, you know, I think you're alive, okay? 
it makes your faith alive. You step up, but by but God, it makes your faith come alive in Him, in Him. You take that first step, faith grows. But God, the faith grows. Remember the story of my uh, of my son Andrew. We have three children. They're all grown up now. We have a daughter, son, daughter. And when Andrew was four years old, Andrew was four years old. He was a uh, he was playing on top of the table, and he was going Pirates of the Caribbean with a wooden sword. And I happened to pass by Andrew's table, and I said, Andrew, jump off the table. He's four years old. Andrew, jump off the table. Dad will catch you. He said, Dad, I'll come down. I'll walk, I climb on the chair and come down. I said, no, Andrew, just, just trust Dad. Just jump off the table. Dad, I will catch you. He said, Dad, it's too high. You know, you, you, you might drop me. I said, no, Andrew, just listen. Look at Dad's eye. I will catch you, son. Don't worry. He said, Dad, it's too high. I might break my legs. I said, listen to, to Dad. Andrew, just trust Dad. Just, just jump off the table. He said, you, make sure you catch me. Huh? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll catch you. Dad, don't drop me. Huh? I, I won't drop you, son. And, you know, make sure. Huh? I said, sure, son. He said, okay. So he jumped. I caught him. And he was delirious with joy. Oh, Dad caught me. Hey, hey. But I will tell you, his joy was nothing compared to mine. Why? My son, trust me. My son, trust me. When push comes to shove, my son, trust me. It's the same. If you are, but suppose, but suppose, God says, please walk, please take that step, but suppose. But, but then you say, but God. I've had failures before. I have things that didn't work out before. I've had a broken relationship before. I've had a failure in business before. Things have been said against me before by my family or my teachers or my peers or my bosses. I've said all these things before. It hurt me so deeply. But God. I take that step. The faith begins to grow. He jumped. And the pleasure in God, the pleasure, my son, my daughter, trust me. And that's where you take the next step, you see. It all starts with but God. Now, I'll give you a follow-up to that illustration. You know, uh, Andrew today is 28 years old. He's grown up. Let me tell you a story. It's not Andrew, but a 28-year-old man. 28-year-old man, he was working in the fourth floor of his of his office block, fourth floor. And he was working overtime. Everybody had gone home. He was working overtime. And then suddenly he smelled smoke coming from under the, the door. He opened the door and there was a raging fire outside. Exit was trapped. He was, he was blocked. He was trapped. And he flung open the windows. He found that there was a raging fire from the third floor, the floor below. Smoke was billowing out and fire, flames were billowing out. And then a crowd had gathered around him. And people were shouting, you know, the fire brigade had arrived and there were some firemen with a big canvas out the tarpaulin asking him to jump. People were shouting, jump, jump, jump. But you know, stood on the window ledge. He didn't jump because, you know, it's, it's four stories up and he couldn't see the tarpaulin very carefully. He didn't see where the fireman was very carefully. He didn't jump. Everybody was saying, jump, jump, jump. He hesitated. And then he heard a voice. And the voice was saying, jump, son, jump. His father. He recognized it was his father's voice. And then he remembered at the age of four and he was playing on the table, Pirates of the Caribbean. His father said, Jump, son, I will catch you. He jumped and they caught him safely. You see, when you take the first steps with but God, it's a small step. And then another but God, another small step. The day will come as God leads you towards your destiny. He will say to you, son or daughter, jump. You might have to jump off a cliff, but you're ready, you see, because you've heard him and you've obeyed him in the small things of but God. Every time your spirit says, but suppose, you say, but God. And you moved on. Everybody say after me, but God. 
Everybody say loud, but God. But God will enable you to grow your faith and make you alive. And finally, what but God will do to you is that it raises you above circumstances. He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together. Somebody say, raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised us up. You know, if you ever see a storm approaching, like this morning, if you woke up early enough and you saw the dark clouds in the sky and you looked up, you would almost certainly not see any birds because all the birds would have scurried and flown away to rest or to take shelter in some tree or some eaves of the roof or some shelter somewhere in a building. But if you ever do see a bird in an approaching thunderstorm, it's likely to be an eagle. It's likely. Because it's about one of the few birds that is not afraid of a storm. It's just not afraid. And why is that? Because the eagle is one of those few birds that can fly above a storm. It can fly above a storm. It's not afraid of a storm. It's not afraid. You know why? Because the wingspan of the eagle is so wide. It's so wide that it can tap on the adverse currents that's coming against it. Tap on the adverse currents. And then use those adverse currents to lift itself up above a storm. And this is what God says to you. When you learn to say, but God, yeah, I know my circumstances are bad, but God, you walk. But God, despite everything that's going adversely against me, you learn to tap on the adverse currents because of who God is in you. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. Somebody say amen. And you rise above the storm. And then you have a history with God. It will raise you up above every circumstance in your life. So but God will do these for you. Will do these things for you. It will bring you down into God's grace. Not His, your strength, but His strength. It will make your faith alive in Him. And it will raise you up above every circumstance that can come above you. How many of you, you want to change your language from this day onwards? Not but suppose, but but God. Can I see your hands? Raise it up in the air. That's your language. Put your hands down now. Today, one of the greatest things can happen in our lives today. You know, the greatest miracle. It's not just a miracle of knowing but God. But the greatest miracle is knowing the God who saved and loved you who wants to live in you and be the source of your life and strength to give you a new hope and a new life. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. I just want nobody moves right now. The greatest miracle is knowing God in your life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on the cross for your sins and mine. He took away your sins. He took away my sins. And today, my friends, He stands at the door of your heart and He's knocking on the door of your heart. He said, my son, my daughter, will you open the door of your heart for me? Because if you do open, I will come in. I will live in you as, as your Lord and Savior. My friends, the greatest miracle of knowing God's strength in your life is to open your heart to receive Jesus into your heart today. If today you've never given your heart to Jesus before, then right now here to my front, back, to side, left and right, God is speaking to you. Don't leave this place without giving your heart to Jesus.